Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. The full Christmas story is more than a quiet nativity scene with starlight, shepherds, and animals, and a manger. It also includes a raving mad ruler, a fugitive family, and thousands of slaughtered babies. We tend to avoid this part of the story of the Lord's entering this world because it's violent, and it's sad, and it's tragic. It goes against the way we want the Christmas story to be. The Bible, however, is always truthful. When it tells the story of Christ's birth, it tells the whole story of what really happened. And it includes Herod's jealous hatred and the atrocity of killing little children. Christ did not come into a G-rated world. He came into the real world of sin, darkness, and unrelenting evil. But Christ did not come into the world to avoid sin and death. He came to confront it by dying for our sins and abolishing death through His cross and resurrection. Matthew 2, verses 13 to 15 read, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. The story before us begs for context. When the wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, They went all around Jerusalem asking, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? When Herod the Great, the paranoid ruler over Israel at that time, caught wind of that, he was greatly troubled because he believed himself to be king over the Jews. Herod therefore demanded of the chief priests and scribes to tell him where the king, the Messiah, was to be born. And they answered him, Bethlehem of Judea, according to Micah 5.2. Herod subsequently met with the wise men in secret and asked them to tell him exactly when they had first seen the star. Based on the ages of the young boys slaughtered in Bethlehem, we know their answer was sometime in the two years previous. Herod then tells them to go to Bethlehem to search for the Messiah and bring back word of his exact location so that he might come and worship him too. And of course, that was an out-and-out lie. Herod employed all possible means to obtain accurate information about the, this young child. He asks about the time of his birth, the place where he would born, be born, and his exact location. And all of this was so that Herod might be led right to him and be sure of killing this threat to his throne. From the beginning of the Lord's earthly life, 
the threat of death hung over our Savior. Satan sought to destroy him from the very time of his birth, and he uses Herod here to do so. As the wise men head for Bethlehem after leaving Herod in Jerusalem, the star that appeared the night Christ was born two years earlier reappears. It led them then to Joseph and Mary's house. After worshiping the young Christ and presenting him their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, the wise men were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod as commanded. They obey the angelic warning of the, in the dream, and they return to their home in the east without reporting back to Herod in Jerusalem. So when you come to verse 13, and it says, When they departed, it refers to when the wise men departed from Joseph and Mary's house. Joseph's and Mary's joy and their wonder and their excitement uh, from the Magi's visit was cut short by a divine message to Joseph. Either that same night or shortly thereafter, as Joseph was sleeping, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, telling him, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and stay in Egypt with Mary and the child until the angel brought him word. The angelic being explained that the reason for the sudden warning was that Herod was going to search for the young child to destroy him. Now, Herod's threat was no surprise and no problem for God. God's plan had been in his mind from eternity past, and no human plot could ever stop a divine plan. And we see God's plan spelled out by the angel. The first word of the angelic warning was arise. There was no time for delay. In obedience to the angel's warning, verse 14 says, Joseph arose, and he got up in the middle of the night. You can only imagine uh, Joseph waking Mary, and then both of them scrambling around their home, trying to decide what was essential to take, what could be left behind. The angel tells them to flee in Egypt. And flee means to seek safety by flight, to escape safely out of danger. And the Greek word is in the present imperative, meaning that it was to be continued. We might paraphrase it, flee and don't stop moving until you get all the way to Egypt. Because of the immediate danger, Joseph took Jesus and Mary and left by night, that same night, and departed into Egypt under cover of darkness, making their way south. So you have two different directions. In verse 13, the Magi departed for the east. In verse 14, this young family departed south for Egypt. The flight into Egypt was not an easy trip. It was 300 miles or more. Their method of travel was not like our modern means of travel when we can knock out 300 miles in a day without a problem. But traveling by foot or by donkey, it would have taken a while to get there. But in God's providential care for His Son, God provided the treasures received through the Magi to pay this young family's expenses for traveling to Egypt and for living there. 
We know little of their stay in Egypt. We don't know how long they stayed, and we don't know where they stayed exactly. Historical records tell us that there was a Jewish population in and around Alexandria, Egypt at that time. And in the book of Acts, we even learn that some 35 years after the birth of Christ, there was a Jew named Apollos born at Alexandria. Fellow Jews in Alexandria likely would have welcomed this family. So it's possible they stayed in Alexandria, but we don't know for certain. Matthew two sixteen to 18 read, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. Herod has been referred to as the Jewish Nero because of his jealousy for power and uncontrollable suspicion of everyone in his life. He married nine times. He killed his first wife and one of his brothers-in-law. And guarding his position as king of the Jews, he did not hesitate to execute at least three of his own sons, whom he suspected of plotting against him. And he did the same thing to 300 of his military leaders. The Roman Emperor Augustus has been quoted as saying that it was better to be Herod's pig than his son, for his pig had a better chance of surviving. The Jewish historian Josephus called Herod a man of great barbarity toward all men equally. Herod was a dangerous and an evil man. The wise men's decision to return home without reporting the young king's exact location infuriates Herod. As soon as he learned that the wise men had not complied with his request, his murderous heart was stirred, and he put into action a plan to kill all the children in Bethlehem ages two and under. Herod knew that the Christ had been born in Bethlehem and assumed he was still living there. Herod had no idea which of the young boys in Bethlehem was the one, so in senseless rage, to make sure of killing him, Herod handed down a death sentence to all of them, all the children that were in Bethlehem from two years old and under. Not only was this done in Bethlehem, but also in all the coasts thereof, or in the area all around it, so it was Bethlehem, and beyond. The soldiers were dispatched. The deed was done. This was a crime so unspeakable and heinous that historians have given it a name, the massacre of the innocents. The details are hard even to contemplate, much less to describe. Author and speaker Philip Yancey writes the following. After Christmas, I accepted perhaps the hardest assignment of all. Not in terms of quantity of suffering can it ever be quantified, but in the sheer intensity of horror. 
I address the New England town of Newtown, Connecticut, a community reeling from the murder of 20 school children and six teachers and staff just days prior. An ambulance driver captured the mood in Newtown well. All of us on the fire and ambulance corps are volunteers, he told me. We don't train for something like this. Nobody does. And my wife is a teacher at Sandy Hook. She knew all 20 children by name as well as the staff. After hiding out during the carnage, she had to walk past the bodies of her colleagues in the hallway. He paused to control his voice, then continued. Everyone experiences grief. In the worst case, the terrible grief of losing a child. Usually, though, you bear grief as if in a bubble. You go to the grocery store. You go back to work. Eventually, that outer world takes over more of you and the grief begins to shrink. Here in Newtown, we go to the store and see memorials to the victims. We walk down the street and see markers on the porches of those who lost a child. It's like a bell jar has been placed over the town with all the oxygen pumped out. We can't breathe for the grief. The grief of the parents, family members, and residents of Bethlehem would have been very much the same as Newtown. Very few think of Bethlehem as a burial place. They think of it as a birthplace. But the biblical account reminds us of the whole story. The Newtown shooting and this massacre of the innocents reminds us of the desperate wickedness of the heart of man. It reminds us of the cruel, sin-cursed world of pain, grief, and sorrow that the Savior entered in order to save sinners. It reminds us of the love of Christ, as Galatians 1 puts it, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. The one born in Bethlehem's manger is the world's hope. He is the one who came to defeat sin by his cross. In him we find hope. In him we find light in the midst of the world's evils and darkness. This account also reminds us of the spiritual battle that is raging behind the scenes. The Lord said in John 8 that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, and we see his influence here in his first attempt to kill the Messiah. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Everybody's Somebody in the Body of Christ is an 18-page booklet transcribed from Episode 6 of our program, Transformed by Grace, written and taught by Pastor Kevin Sadler, President of the Berean Bible Society. In this booklet, we see that in the body of Christ, we have all been equipped with different gifts and skills to do certain tasks. To continue to be a light to the world, we all need to do our part, develop our skills, and then do it efficiently by grace through faith. God instructs that there be no competition, rivalry, 
envy, nor inferiority or superiority in the body. He wants us to truly care for and love one another. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. This message is also available on DVD. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Herod's chilling crime and the weeping which followed were a fulfillment of the words of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah 31.15 reads, Thus saith the Lord, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rahel, or Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Ramah was the staging area for the Jews to be carried away captive to Babylon in 586 B.C. As a result of their disobedience and idolatry, God permitted His people to be conquered by the Babylonians. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, the land was pillaged and burned, and practically the entire population was carried off into exile. Ramah is the place where King Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers organized the Jews into caravans, put them in chains, and marched them off to Babylon. Because Rachel died near Bethlehem after giving birth to Benjamin, Jeremiah refers to Rachel, representing the mothers of Israel, weeping as they saw their sons going into captivity, refusing to be comforted because their grief was so great. Israel's mourning at the time of the captivity is correlated to the weeping brought on by Herod. The wailing that came from the mourning at the captivity prefigured the wailing of the mothers at Herod's massacre. Mothers who also, as would be expected, refused to be comforted because their grief was so great in losing their little boys. Matthew 2, verses 19 to 23 read, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose, and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Joseph, Mary, and the young Jesus stayed in Egypt until the death of Herod. As the angel had promised, he let Joseph know when it was safe for them to return. With the death of Herod, the coast was now clear to return to Israel. The angel assured Joseph of this in a dream, and like the previous dream, the angel told him 
to arise when it was time to leave. We can't say for certain how long they were in Egypt, but the Lord was still a young child, as it says here, when they came back, so they weren't there very long. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 15, Matthew had written that the return to Israel from Egypt was a fulfillment of Hosea 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Thus, this prophecy, given hundreds of years earlier, became clothed with new meaning. In its original context, the prophecy referred to Israel's deliverance from Egypt at the time of the Exodus. But Matthew revealed its twofold interpretation and meaning as the prophecy was fulfilled ultimately in the life of Christ by his return to Israel from Egypt. As if to retrace the steps of the Exodus, Christ left Egypt for the land that God promised to Israel. It is impossible to fail to notice the parallels between Christ and Moses. Both Moses and Christ came out of Egypt, and God protected both of his chosen deliverers under similar circumstances. About 1,400 years before Christ, there was an evil ruler, a pharaoh, who ordered the death of Israelite baby boys. But God protected a little baby, Moses, who would escape that attempted genocide and deliver the nation. At the time of Herod, the baby who would deliver the nation was the Lord Jesus Christ. In a twist, though, Moses was hidden from the Egyptians by the Jews, whereas the Lord was hidden from the Jews by the Egyptians. As Israel's deliverer, Moses had a great mission to lead the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and to bring them to the promised land. As Israel's deliverer, Jesus Christ had an even greater mission to lead Israel out of bondage to sin and death by his cross and resurrection, and he will one day literally lead Israel into the promised land of his earthly kingdom. On the return trip, when Joseph, Mary, and the young Jesus reached the land of Israel, Joseph heard that Herod's son Archelaus had succeeded his father as ruler over Judea. Thus, Joseph was reluctant to venture any farther. History reveals that Archelaus was as wicked and brutal as his father. He was so brutal that he was deposed by Rome after a short reign and replaced with a governor appointed by Rome, and later Pontius Pilate was appointed to this same position. Discovering Archelaus was ruling over Judea, Joseph knew that he, Mary, and the Christ child were no safer under Archelaus than they had been under Herod the Great. And so common sense told him to be careful and to wait. Joseph's fears were confirmed by God in a dream, and God warned him to divert his path and go to Galilee. Thus Joseph took his wife and God's son, and traveled north to Nazareth and Galilee. The Lord grew up in Nazareth and became identified with that city. As in Scripture, as we know, our Savior is called Jesus of Nazareth.
A missionary once arrived in a small Chinese town just after a gang of bandits had destroyed the little town and everything in it. A native Christian showed the missionary the ruins of his home, showing her how they burned everything and turned all his belongings to ashes. Then what was the last straw, the native Christian pointed to his burnt hymn book and Bible. He said, they even burned my Bible and my hymn book. From those ruins, the native picked up a single page of his Chinese hymn book that had escaped the flames. The missionary took the piece of paper and it read, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. What an apparent contradiction, said the missionary. A note of joy in the midst of total destruction. But the missionary went on to say, that if you could have gone to that little chapel and seen the light on the faces of those native Christians that evening and heard how they sang that hymn to God. Those who had lost nearly everything still praised God and spoke of the home that Jesus has prepared for those who love Him and have trusted Him. Yes, the missionary claimed, there is joy to the world but only because the Lord is come. We rejoice each Christmas season to be reminded that Christ came willingly to this earth to be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, in order to save sinners, which is each and every one of us. Coming to this dark and dangerous world of destruction and death, Christ demonstrated His perfect love and the infinite value he, pla he places on each person's life and soul. The wickedness we see in this account and that we see constantly in the world today reminds each of us how desperately the world needs Christ and His saving gospel of grace. And that gospel is to simply trust that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. And you are saved by God's grace through faith. The Salvation Army bell ringers we see around us at Christmas time should remind each of us how the church does need to be God's Salvation Army and take Christ's good news to the unbelieving, so that souls might be saved, that hearts might be won, that Christ might transform lives, and that God might be glorified. This is the answer to the world's wickedness. Christ is the answer. Christ is always the answer. For nearly 80 years, the Berean Bible Society has endeavored to encourage believers everywhere to study God's Word. With this foundation, the believer is equipped to grow spiritually and energized to effectively share the Gospel. Through the tools of both traditional and electronic media, we are positioned to reach our world well into the coming generations. Streaming lessons, printed materials, audio teachings, and daily devotionals are all available at the BereanBibleSociety.org.
Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.